One of my favorite things about this podcast is just sitting down with somebody, putting our phone away for a couple of hours, and just having a conversation. Sometimes we can sit down with somebody who we've known for many years and still learn new things about them. And that's exactly what happened when B Magic and I sat down with our homie, community activist, podcaster, and filmmaker, Lovleen Gore. In this episode, Lavleen talks about discovering a hidden family secret about her origin, lineage, and migration from Burma. We also talk about how she got involved in community activism and how she made the transition from organizer and activist to artist. We also talk about giving back to the youth in the form of mentorship. She talks about running workshops and mentorship programs for youth in the world of podcasting as well as documentary filmmaking and some of the challenges that the artists of this generation still face coming up today. Shout out to the homie Loveline. We hope you enjoy. This is season two, episode three of the Immigrant Hustle podcast. Okay, this is the Immigrant Hustle podcast. I am your host, B Magic. I got my brother Noise with me. Yes, and this week, very special guest, we've got our homegirl all the way from Toronto joining us here in Combo Studios, Loveline Kaur. Please introduce yourself. I mean, you just did, but <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what I'm... Uh, formerly from Mississauga for most of shout my out, life, Shout actually. out, shout out. So, and spent a lot of time uh, in Brampton as my formal, former stomping ground. So, I don't know. Shout out, Brampton. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah we, we were talking about it off air. You're like... Mad nervous to be on the show right now. So nervous, why. which is very funny. Yeah, my anxiety is kicking in just off seeing your nervousness. <laughs> uh, <laughs> my nervousness. If we can just stop this right now. <laughs> <laughs> you guys are the performers. <laughs> what? I don't know. <laughs> um, but yeah, you know, it's uh, it's good to kick it with you. Like we were saying, you're one of those people that we've, when we were initially coming up with guests and people that we wanted on the show, your name was one of those top names that came up. Aww, I'm so honored about that. <laughs> like, I was like, me? It's so special. <laughs> yeah, so like, you've got a really dope story as far as just some of the, the arts and projects that you're involved in, not just podcasting, but filmmaking, documentary filmmaking, working with youth. We'll get into all of that as we go. Cool. Um, but yeah, just to kind of take things back from, from the beginning, I know your family is from, from Burma. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, some of my family is from Burma, yeah. Yeah, so can you kind of... I was like, that's real beginning. I yeah. thought, you know, like when they came to in Canada yeah. or whatever. No, even Burma. before that, yeah, we're yeah. taking Bef- it way, way back. back. You did yeah. your research. We're yeah. <laughs> deep dive into the internet. <laughs> yeah. That's why we pay them the big bucks over we, we here. We have a few Nardwar moments. <laughs> <laughs> where, where is Burma for, you know, the people that do not know where Burma is? Like Let's you? start off there. Yeah, like me. <laughs> My geography is usually pretty fucking good, <laughs> but I have no Let's idea where the real, fuck yeah, Burma you're is. You're talking about you right Yeah, now. yeah. All right. All right. It's me. <laughs> We're not uh, talking about Birmingham. Yeah. Uh, this, um, Burma is beside India. It's like between around India and China. Okay. And so my great... This is actually really funny that you know this, Amrit. <laughs> but like um, my... This was actually a family secret for all of us. Wow, so I'm wow. the, one of the youngest in my family. And so even my oldest cousins, who are like, you know, 15 years older than me, didn't even know that my great-grandmother was born and raised and was from Burma and was Burmese. Nice. Wow. And we all look a little bit like Jinne, you know what I mean? We like have yeah. these like different features and my mom, and especially my mom's side of the family, and I never really had an answer for it. 
And then, and since I was a kid, my parents would always be like, oh, you were switched at birth. Like, you know what I mean? And it was like a joke until I was like 16. And I told my mom, I was like, I'm going to go get a blood test. And then she thought I was going to get a DNA test. Yeah, I was just going to say, you did Ancestry. <laughs> no, no, I never did Ancestry. Okay. This is like 16. So like, yeah. I'm, I'm old now, but like, there was no Ancestry. I was literally going to get a health like blood okay. test. And she's like, oh, my God, are you going to go test to see if you're switched at birth? I was like, hold on, guys. I thought this was a joke. <laughs> so, like, around that time, my dad and my cousins who are from my Masi's kids, like, so the other Burmese kids, they look like like not Punjabi at all. And we were all together. And we're like, we look so weird. Why are we this, like, weird-looking family yeah. on this side, right? And my dad comes in, and he's like, it's because you're from Burma. We're like, haha, dad, had a little too many to drink. <laughs> and no, he's like, no, I used to sit with your nana and be like, he told me all the stories, and he was really annoying because I first got married to your mom. And he'd be like, uh, jolly, sit here and write my stories of the war. And then, yeah. like, so that's how we found out that, like, my great grandfather moved from Punjab with World War One with the British Army wow. to Burma. That's crazy. And he left all his land. He fell in love with some Burmese woman, got married, started a gurdwara. What? And then they had five daughters. And then he educated all their daughters. He never went back to Punjab. I was like, in my life, in my understanding of life at that time, that man must have been real happy to like not go yeah. back to your land. Yeah, shout out to him, man. <laughs> yeah. Living the dream out here. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, whatever. And then my grandfather and his brother went for World War II to Burma with the British Army. And this, my... Uh, great grandfather was like oh who are these like Punjabi men and there's two brothers and they're the age of my daughters and he got them to marry each other and then they all settled in Burma wow. and then so wow. my eldest Masi was actually born in Burma and all five of those daughters for that generation were raised singing uh, Kirtan were do read Gurmukhi read English and Punjabi and were able to speak all like all two languages which at yeah. that time was like unheard of yeah. for that generation and um, they had to flee because the British left the Indian army in Burma and wow. the J Japanese were bombing Burma. And Burma, to get back to India, you had to go through a ship because it was all jungles. So my family had to do a six-month trek in the jungles overnight to get back to Delhi. And then my great-grandmother had to stay hidden in the house in the bend. Like wow. she wasn't, and like... It was such a big family secret and only now are like little things coming out. Yeah. And my mom was like, I was like, my mom was like making like chow mein one time and she's like, yeah, your great grandmother used to make this for us all the time. I was like, what? Like you're in the bank yeah. making chow mein? Like what yeah. the hell? Like, why That's so dope. <laughs> what, what do you think that the hesitance was in telling the kids about that? Like, do you know? Yeah, I think like they, it was just like, oh, you married somebody out of the race. Oh yeah, yeah. Like, like just, well, well, you'll, be like, frowned upon yeah, or some and shit it was, like, like that. Disgraceful. Yeah. And the sad thing is, is like my mom was literally like, "Oh, I actually spoke." As the story slowly started coming out, but it was so much shame that my mom was like, and my mom's the youngest, so she's mm -hmm. like a little bit disconnected from too much of the cultural, you know, disrespect, respect, whatever. She's like, "Don't tell your mama, like her her older brother." Mm -hmm. And he's like, because he'll be mad that you know. And we're like, what? We are obviously told everybody. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then she's like, and at first, like, she'd be like, shh, shh, why are you go tell your friends? Why are you telling all your friends? Whatever. Like, it was seen as shameful. Mm -hmm. wow. And and then my last living, the last living daughter that was born, like, my grandmother's sister that was born in Burma, she passed away. But I got the chance to meet her in Seattle 
couple years ago and she was the one that was like her her family that she lived in they all look like us i was like guys have you ever not ever looked at your face and been like why do we look like this like, you know what I mean? like, I was like look at us do you not see her face and then i showed them pictures of burmese people and they literally look like my mom like mm-hmm. all of them right and then they're like no 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 they just lived in burma i was like Okay, there was no Punjabi women in Burma. Like, Punjabi <laughs> women weren't being taken yeah. with the British army to get people married. Like, they're like, not. Nah. They were like in so much denial. Like, they, they literally fought me, and the Nani was sitting right there. And I was like, tell me, Nani, you were born there. Your grandma, your mom was Burmese. And then she's like, yeah, yeah. But over time, she's like, maybe they, maybe she wasn't. I was like, oh my God. Like, <laughs> like what do you mean? So that's the story of Burma. Wow, that's dope. So then, how does. How does the family move from there to Canada? Like, when does that transition take place? Uh, that's, I guess that would have been like 50, 30 years, 20 years maybe. Because, mm. like, they moved back to India after the World War II, like, yeah. after the Japan started attacking wherever they were. And then m- the first person from my family was my mom, grandfather, and her sister. Or, like, their sister, whatever. So, mm. it was, like, 1979. Okay. Yeah. Dope. And where I was, was that? Like, I don't have a funny story for you. I was like, sorry, it'll come, it'll come. <laughs> so where did that, where did your family first get set up? Like, where did you get established? Was it in the Toronto area? No, I mean, the thing about, like, I did a, a lot of research around, like, immigration patterns in, in Canada. Like, that's a Punjabi Sikh immigrant patterns specifically. So it's a lot of my interest. And Toronto was not an immigrant hub mm-hmm. until the 80s. Yeah. yeah. Um, and like there was not for our community, at least people went to Vancouver mm-hmm. and then they started moving West. So my family settled in Calgary. Okay. Um, my uncle was there first, like he married, my aunt married there first. And then they only came to Toronto in the late seventies, a lot of, and a funny story is a lot of Punjabis moved from Calgary to Toronto at the, at the time. Cause people heard there was more jobs here. And my mom started working at a factory called trim fit, making socks and pantyhose. Um, okay around the time that I was born and she met three of her friends from Calgary and wow, they like all wow. lived in Etobicoke and they're all working at the same factory and they're like still friends to this day. That's dope. And then I Small didn't even world. know that they knew each other from Calgary. Like yeah. I grew up going to their house Yeah. and I was like, Whoa, can you imagine without internet yeah. and like without cell phones and like le- addresses or anything mm. that they like the, the community was so small here that eventually you would just like, find each other in these pockets you know yeah I have a similar story about that too like a friend that I met in high school so me and him we've been friends pretty much since grade nine until this day and then as we would start to go to each other's house more my dad was like you know I've known your friend's dad since you guys were babies wow so they had some sort of connection in the early years here in Canada then they kind of lost touch for a while but then through my friendship with my homie then they my our dads kind of got back in touch with each other that's so so it's, cool. it's weird how the community kind of finds each other sometimes, even though it's such a big country, but the connections are still there. So I feel you on that. Yeah, I wonder if like, the, I always think about that, like how the generation of parents, that's like our generation of parents when they were a smaller community here, like if that's going to sustain, like our kids, are they nah. going to be able to do that too in the same way? You know, mm-hmm. like they were meeting out of necessity. I was just telling like Dizzy that, I was like, when I was growing up, we were always doing house parties. Yeah. Every weekend, there was a house party. And it wasn't a party for the sake of party. It was literally, like, for the sake of connection. Connection, yeah. And Mm -hmm. so we would be in somebody's basement, like, every other Mm -hmm. week. And any Punjabi person you knew 
would be in that basement. Yeah. And that's how I learned Bhangra. That's yeah. how I learned Punjabi music. Like, I always say that, like, I didn't, I actually didn't speak English till I was like seven, even though I was born here. Yeah. Right. Mm. And um, so, like, I wonder if we'll be, because even my family doesn't do that anymore. Yeah. Because no, they don't need to. Cause even we, for us in Norway, like, we didn't have no direct blood relatives in Norway while we lived there, but we had family friends that had come at the same time as my dad, and they obviously became family. But, like, I remember being at uncle or auntie's house every weekend for yeah. sleepovers. Total, totally. And it was like, I, like, literally <laughs> till this day, I consider them all my family, right? But that was the, it came out of necessity of, keeping our culture alive right but it's like that before that i didn't really have no punjabi culture other than what my parents taught me but then to see other kids and other families coming together and stuff like that like that's when i first realized what our culture is about the funny thing too is i don't even know if they were doing it to retain culture i was joking to say like they literally just threw the kids in a room no yeah 100 (laughs) percent. they're like like, you guys be friends we need to like (laughs) we need to do our thing right now (laughs) for sure Yo, 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 in the booth right now with magic and <laughs> drop noise. A, drop a quick 16. Yo, yeah. yo, 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 Lalkata in the booth right now. What it do, what it do. <laughs> yo, I feel like a lot of people when they come on the show, they like, they're in front of the mic and they're like, yo, I can live my rapper fantasies right now. I mean, I had many opportunities to live my rapper fantasies yeah. with you guys. I just have none. So... <laughs> You kind of did. You dabbled in like spoken word a little bit here. And yeah, there. yeah, yeah. I can do spoken word. Yes. Yeah. My speeches <laughs> would turn into like spoken word. Basically. Yeah. So whatever. It's like you held the mic like a rapper. <laughs> when you did speeches. That's all that matters. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't even like, hold a mic like a rapper. I would yell at people, but I was yeah. like on the mic. <laughs> um, speaking of yelling at people on mics. Yes. I'm so right. <laughs> <laughs> the least yelly person on a mic ever. Yeah. So Levine, um, I first met you in the context of activism. We were both part of the same activist group back in the days, known yeah. as Sick Activist Network. Shout outs. Shout out, that was a good time OG, period. OG's out here right yeah. now. Sand days. <laughs> yeah. So when did you or like why was activism important to you? And when did that kind of get implanted in you? Isn't that the biggest question of the century? Like, everybody yeah. asks me that all the time. And yeah. I've learned to, like, give a good, quick, and dirty answer. And the first one is, like, I'm a sick, And that is our philosophy. Like, I literally don't n- know any other way to be. Well fucking said. Yeah, <laughs> yeah and, like, it's hard because I, I think similar to what we were just talking about, like, community and how people react. I literally thought that's what everybody did and not that my parents did anything i just thought that we all grew up with this feeling that like we have to fight against oppression like Mm. and we have to fight for what's right like that's our job (laughs) like that's what we do um so i would and then also like what i also say is that i am a woman of color the child of working class immigrants like um i actually don't have the luxury to not speak out yeah. Like, I literally do not have the luxury to not speak out because my body is is a walking resistance. And I choose, as I got more privilege, I had to contend with that as people I knew were getting comfortable with their privilege and letting their activism or speaking out go or, or molding it so it's more presentable. I had to literally be like, you know what? 
no, like I choose to continue to let my body be that act of resistance because people fought for me to be here and I don't have the luxury to be like, um, you know, I'm okay now. I got my degrees. I can buy my house and I can like pretend and I'm light skinned too. So like, I know that I don't face the same things that other people face, but that doesn't mean I'm going to stop talking about it, you know? Mm. Um, and I'm never going to forget, like, my family came up in cockroach-infested apartments, you know? So it's like, I'm not going to forget the people that came, were there and might still be in those kinds of apartments. And we just got lucky. Like, mm. my dad got a good unionized factory job. Like, we just got lucky. Yeah. And not everybody gets lucky like that. And I know that if there wasn't, like, people along the way that, like, p- helped my parents navigate how to get a mortgage and helped me figure out how to apply for grants or whatever, whatever, like I wouldn't be here. Mm-hmm. And so I don't think I have the luxury to pretend like I fucking pulled up my bootstraps and made it here all on my own. Mm. Like no way. You know what I yeah. mean? Um, but like my dad raised me telling me my bedtime stories were stories of the gurus and Arangzev and like all these things. And then my first protest was actually in high school because the war in Iraq was happening. And I didn't even realize. I totally forgot about it. And yeah. it was like, we were 16. It was probably the first protest Mississauga had ever had. It was like such a lightweight <laughs> protest. There was matching toques. Yeah. Um, you, know I mean? you gotta look fly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And there's like, and then I collected a thousand signatures in high school to petition against the war in Iraq. That's um, amazing. And then I still have the petitions because by the time we were gonna send them in, we just Canada decided not to go ahead with the war. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, that's funny because that makes me think. Recently, I was thinking about that, and I was like, you know, like people always say young people are apathetic, like we don't care about shit. Then tell me how I collected a thousand signatures in high mm-hmm. school. Yeah. I literally like handed them out to my friends and said, guys, do we want to go to war? I didn't do anything. I didn't know shit. It's not like yeah. I could put together like a you know bullet point mission statement about why we should be against the war. Like most of the schools signed the petition. Yeah, you took action rather than just talking about it, right? And that's the problem that a lot of people have. Yeah, they want to do something, but they don't actually want to fucking do something, yeah. right? Yeah. But sometimes I feel like what we need is people to give the, like, options of what there is to do, right? True. So it's just like, what? And so it's like, yeah, there's some of a, I think we just all play different roles. Just like art plays a role in activism. It's an mm-hmm. incredibly important role. Um so it's like I just needed to be the one to have the tool to be like, you guys don't want the war? Oh, you feel like you don't know what to do about it? Okay, here. Here's a petition. Sign this thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's kind of like how I started. And I've always been a fucking loud mouth. So like, <laughs> <laughs> you for know? Some, okay, let's say for somebody who wants, like a female of color who wants to get into activism and feels these barriers in life yeah. and not even just in activism, just in life in general. How do you get to a position where you're so comfortable with knowing who the fuck you are yeah. and then getting to a position where you're like, I'm going to help others in whatever way I can? How, how do you get to that point in your life? I know it's a hard question. It's a hard but, question. Or are I, you at that point? I mean, that's the thing. Like, I actually hate saying that I'm an activist because, no. like, when I was younger... Like, I remember being, like, 13, and people used to call me, like, a hippie feminist. And Mm -hmm. I didn't even know what that meant. You know what I Mm -hmm. mean? And it was literally, like, not even... It's not even, like, you know, the movies that I was, like, doing sit-ins or some shit. No. I was just... I would just be, like, no, men should do this. Like, that... 
13 year old Loveline. Like, that's probably all I was doing. Yeah. Like, but they were like, oh, Loveline, you're such a hippie feminist, you know? Or like, yeah. you're such an activist. Like, they wouldn't, it wasn't, now it's becoming something that's seen as like glorified and amazing, which I'm happy about. But I think that, again, coming back to your question, I think we got to take away the, the like weight that people put on that word, right? Mm -hmm. Like it's just action. Like you just said, it's like just action. And I feel like too many people and coming back to sick activist network, too many people are waiting for some organization to give you validation and space. And even in these progressive movements, like there isn't space for all of us because Mm -hmm. they don't know how to do it. And so we have to create that fucking space for ourselves. So like, um, and it comes back to being a sick, like we're not accepted in the same way or respected in the South Asian quote unquote community in the quote unquote Indian community. So even in South Asian organizing spaces, they don't acknowledge or understand Hindu like fundamentalism and the violence of Modi right now. No. They don't talk about that. Mm. They don't talk about the genocide. So it's like there was never space for us in the first place. That's why we created the sick activist network. Yeah. Right. That's why we had that. So don't wait for anybody else. Find a couple people that think like you and just do something about it. And it doesn't need to be big. And something that I was thinking about recently, mm-hmm. like Modi. Okay, this is like conspiracy theory level. But like, but <laughs> Go like, in, kid. Go in. <laughs> <laughs> Can't wait for the India government to shut us down. <laughs> Maybe I'll stop talking about this. It's like a pop podcast. Am I right? Fuck. Okay, okay. Well, well, I'll, I'll keep it. I'll keep it. Uh, <laughs> No, talk your shit. I want to hear Keep it 100. Keep it 1,000. We ain't censoring nobody out here. I'm like, yo, you want to give me a megaphone or what? Like, this mic, what the hell is this bullshit? No, I'm joking. I'm joking. You guys are great. What you do is amazing. Um, But if we want to, like, if we even think back to, like, Kamal Nath protests, which was such a small protest, and it happened in, in 2010. Yeah, so just for the people that might not know what that is, can you provide a little bit of context? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So nobody knows what that is except for like the 300 people that were there. (laughs) Um, Amrit the Navi, you were there. Mm. Guggen, I don't know if you were there. Yeah, it was. And so it was just like, it was a weekday and we had just realized that there was this man named Kamal Nath who was directly responsible for the genocide of sick people in November 1984. And we're like, what? This guy's come six times before. Nobody's ever done anything about it. Mm-hmm. And within four days, and I remember I was like the one of the key people that organized it. So we had press releases out. We got buses loaded from the Gurdwares. We had buses coming from univer- all the like five universities, Waterloo, McMaster, York, um, maybe Oshawa. And... And then we had like 300 people come out on a rainy Tuesday night. We had a front page story on the Toronto Star and I had a interview with CP24 and like that action. And we had an email campaign and a phone campaign where we called all the MPs. Mm -hmm. So that's coming back to like this idea that we just need to give actions. There's like come to the protest, call your MPs, email this, do that. And people were bombarding like people like Ruby Dulla Mm. who were complacent, sick MPs that people got comfortable with just accepting because she was like a pretty face. And we were calling these people out publicly. And so that little tiny protest barely made a blip in like anybody's life. But to us that were there, we were like, what did we just do? This is amazing. But literally the next year, the Indian government was like, you need to deal with your sick extremists. I know. 
bullshit. Yeah, that's still popping up. To right, the and, but yeah. that's why I was going to yeah. try to go bigger. But I'll stay to the past. You know what I mean? People can make their own connections. But that year, because yeah. of what we did, New York or who, wherever he went next, the next community just ramped up on that. Mm. And they made it bigger. And then now it's like every sick city would be like, I think he went to BC next and people chained themselves to the Gurdwara yeah. to like not let him in, right? And it was the next year that the government was like, you need to deal with this upcoming rise in Sikh extremism. It's like, yo, they're talking about us, Amrit. Yeah, yeah. And I actually had that conversation. <laughs> I was like, yo, they're talking about us. I was like, they're talking about us stupid little kids in our parents' basement eating our mom's samosa. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, literally, they're talking about us. So to... What I'm bringing it back to is the fact that, like, activism, people try to see it as this huge thing. Mm -hmm. But it's like, I want to think about it as, like, and when I was younger, I used to be like, we need to break down the system right now. But I've started thinking about it in terms of our ancestors. To be like, colonizers were in India for over 100 years. And Punjab was colonized for over 150 years. And anywhere there was, like, slavery or colonization... Literally, the minute they touch down, there's resistance. Mm -hmm. It never stopped. And the people who started resisting, they didn't think it has to end tomorrow. They just resisted. And the last, you know, straw that was to break, so for example, with India, it was Bhagat Singh. The last straw that was to break was building on, you know, all this resistance that continued. So I'm like, if my ancestors could fight back for 200 years just for the future, like with no hope for anything, but just thinking that one day we have to be free, mm -hmm. then I'm going to think back to their power and I'm going to keep moving forward with one day these little things are going to add up and some straw is going to break the camel's back. And I, feel like, I feel like a lot of this comes back to, like you said earlier, it's like we heard about the Puget Sings as, as children, right? And I felt the same way as you. He as, was only 23. Exactly. And now, like, when I think of all these things, I'm just like, wow. Like, and even, like, my, my father was heavily, like, in the comrade movement right. in Punjab as well. So it's like, and he was doing that at a way younger age than what I am now, right? And I'm just like, how can people be so aware at such a young age? But it's yeah. just like, we're just living in this comfortable lifestyle yeah, where we don't, we're not yeah. fucking seeing the oppression every day, right? Yeah. yeah, if you dig deep, you can, you can realize that it's still there, right? Yeah. But it's like, I feel like we are the kids of that generation that saw it firsthand. Yeah. And through those stories that we've been told since kids, there is a burning desire within all of us to change, right? And... We have this idea that, yo, we're too small in the grand scheme of things. But like you said, you, you, started, you started a protest with 300 people that reached the, the eyes and ears of the India government. Yeah, which is exactly where we, in the ideal world, would have hoped. Like, yeah. we didn't even think You saw the ripple effects of it just from this one event. In six months. Yeah. And that's the thing. Like, I think that's an important story to tell to the youth of, of nowadays because we like to think that, yo, we ain't shit in this fucking world, right? Yeah. But the thing is, unless you fucking do something and the actions that were taken uh, of, like, the generations ahead of us, they could have fucking just sat down and been taken advantage of, right? Mm -hmm. So we come from that bloodline and that lineage. So it's, it's there within us. Mm -hmm. It's just up to us to educate our youths and keep them pushing towards the same shit that our predecessors did, totally. right? 
But, you know, a lot of people like to just fall back and be like, I'm comfortable now. Yeah. My family's yeah. comfortable exactly. now, which is the bullshit yeah. that we can't be a part of. Actually, I wanted to, to touch on that point, too. Um, when I started getting involved with Sick Activist Network, I had family members that were saying... Yeah, I was just like, about to say. Yeah, like, yeah. why are you getting involved in this? We're here, we're chilling, we're comfortable. We came here to get away from all that. So now that we're here, why are you bringing that over here with us? Why yeah. are you carrying that baggage? So in your own activism journey, did you, did you ever encounter that same resistance? Totally, totally. And I was just going to say that as well, because in our community specifically, we have so... Our community has such a history of resistance in so many different generations like there's so many different stories of it right like Guggen, your dad was part of the com uh, comrade movement then before that there was like the other people there and then there was like the Bunthic movement in the 80s like there was just so much stuff happening at all times but because of that we were we are we also have so much trauma in our community of being violently silenced mm -hmm. not just like oh, you shouldn't do this. No, like, the Punjab police in the 90s, literally, like, that was their job. Like, that mm -hmm. was their job was to, like, silence all these communities. So we've internalized that, like, even speaking out a little bit is, like, you will be violently silenced. And um, that trauma came out in this new gen. Like, we saw our parents, when they came here, I head down, survival mode on. Right? Yeah, they had to build a foundation. Exactly. Because right? yeah. they're like, oh, the government said some shit about us. We ain't got time for that. Yeah. Like, we don't, we know what happens when you raise your voice like that. We don't got time. And so when I was doing it, even though my parents don't directly have any experience from those eras, they were just like, like my mom especially was just like, Loveline, like, don't get involved in this. Those six, back in those days, they were terrorists. Like, you don't know. These people are using you. They're from, the, like, all this sort of stuff. Mm -hmm. And I remember being at the Gurdwara organizing for our first Tears and Ashes, November 84 commemoration event. And people would literally, like, take the flyers out of my hands and throw them on the ground to be wow. like, you don't know nothing about this. And I'm like, okay, but tell me. Like, yeah. and even the Kamal Nath protest, I had youth, like from Sick Actors Network York who wanted to come and literally that day we're like, my parents said I can't. Or like, we're like, I can come, but I got to stay in the back because my, if my parents see me on the camera. But then within a few months, people started being like, yo, my parents, this actually opened up. There was initial resistance because of the trauma, but it opened up space for conversation because then they're like, yo, my parents told me that I actually had an uncle that like died and like, we don't talk about it. Yeah. So it's actually up to us, the younger generation to like, bridge that gap and provide space for healing and conversation mm -hmm. um, so that we can move away from like being so complacent and comfortable and like move past that and like connect to that lineage of like activism. And yeah. For, I think for a lot of Punjabi and Sikh people that came to Canada or they US came during or wherever, those times. They, that came in the seventies and eighties there, they came, they have a story of trauma because they came during that time period. Yeah. So our generation is, we're just one generation removed from that. Yeah. And that trauma hasn't been processed. It hasn't been discussed. It hasn't been shared. Mm -hmm. um, and there's like a huge thing. Like I did a lot of research around like post-traumatic stress disorder of Holoca Holocaust survivors' kids. Mm -hmm. And I noticed that like this, the levels of alcoholism, the levels of domestic violence, the silencing of stories, it very much connected to that i was like holy crap like we are we are surviving from a genocide like literally just happened yeah and the we have severe ptsd in our community mm -hmm. severe ptsd as a 
a, as a whole community, like you see it, you know? And so these are the things that we are carrying forward unless we actually talk about it. So I've always kind of, well, as we talked about it so far, like I've always kind of known you as that activist person, that mobilizer, the person that brings community oh, together. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shucks. And that's, that's a big thing. Like we didn't necessarily, or I didn't necessarily know you as an artist per se. Like, yeah. like I said, you did spoken word a little bit here I mean, and I there. I didn't know myself as an artist at that yeah. time either. And then all of a sudden in 2015, I was online. I'm just like, whoa, Laveline did a podcast? Actually, I think what yeah. it was is, whoa, Laveline paid for my track? Because that's what happened. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I like paid for his track. because I On like, Bandcamp. Yeah, on yeah. Bandcamp because I used it for my theme song. And I was like, I'm, really, I'm just going to use your song for something? He's like, yeah, sure. Uh, you didn't have to pay. I was like, nah, I support artists. So I was <laughs> like, you know what I mean? And then, yeah, I had a podcast that came yeah out. so how did how did that come together where did the idea come for the anti-casserole podcast and how did you what was that thought process like did you just one day wake up and said yeah i'm gonna do this or was it over time <laughs> yeah that's like that's a big question <laughs> like, <laughs> I mean, it's like asking you how you became a, a rapper <laughs> um well at that time um so at that time i like just the maybe six months before I had finished a master's and I had to write a thesis. And so I wrote a thesis on the sick activist network. And that's why I talk so much about this stuff. Cause I dove deep into like researching that. And I wrote about how sick youth are resisting, um, like against are being called terrorists and extremists for just speaking up. Right. And I used the art and activism that the sick activist network did as like my, research subject kind of thing. But I do this amazing project and I basically captured an oral history of the founding of Sick Activist Network. And I have so many personal connections, so it's like nobody else will be able to get those stories. And I got it so fresh, like in 2011. And it was 120 pages of fucking bullshit academic language that I have yet to reread. Amrit, you read it. I read it, yeah. Yeah, I, I was so surprised that anybody actually read it. <laughs> and um, and I was annoyed because I was like, I, I went into my master's because I wanted to capture this history. I wanted somebody to document what was happening because I knew we were in a really important moment. But like the community that I wanted to do it for, it's not accessible to them, mm -hmm. right, at all. And I'm like, sure, it's like going to sit in a computer like somewhere. And if somebody wants to search it up, they'll find it. And actually, like I did publish a page academic paper and I've been seeing that people have been citing it. And I'm like, this is so cool <laughs> like that people are citing my paper. But I got annoyed because I was like, this is not I, although we talk anti-oppression and blah, 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 like this is not accessible. This is not equitable. Like the communities that I come from. I want my dad to be able to read this. Like we just spent so much money and like he sees me toiling away and he has no idea what I wrote. The mm. only thing I could print and give him was my dedication page, you know, like yeah. that was dedicated to him. And I know you did a master's too. So mm. like that's like that's and it's hard. Like the master's was hard. Like I faced racism in a way that I never experienced before because I was the only person of color in my program. So yeah, same with me. Yeah. Yeah. And I was just like, and growing up in Mississauga, like, and I went to York. So it's like, that was never like, we would have racism, but you would always be like, yo, that was racist. Right. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you like, <laughs> you like all of us, like even yeah. in high school, it would just be the whole group would be like, yo, we all know that that teacher is like racist. And then you would just move along, but to yeah. be the only one and like, nobody sees it. 
So then I wanted to apply for a PhD, and I was like, I'm only going to apply if I can make a film. And if I make a film, it'll be a documentary. Mm-hmm. And, like, because that way people can watch it. And, like, it doesn't matter what language you speak. We can put subtitles and da 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 And then so, but I didn't get in to any PhDs. And then I took, I went to a Hot Docs Film Festival. And I had always been going. And I saw a flyer for, like, documentary classes. And I picked it up. And I took one class, like a three-hour or four-hour class or something from a day. And the director there was a documentary director named Juan and he looked at me and everything I would say he's like that's amazing that's amazing that's amazing I was like really this is just like (laughs) what happens in my head all the time like you know what I mean and he's like and then I took like I took him aside in the hallway and I was like no seriously like do you really think that I can be a documentary director he's like Levine you got what it takes and I think like so many things just popped off within that year so Mm. I signed up I did one more weekend class with him, and then I signed up for his 16-week. Because his 16-week program, now I look at it, I'm like, wow, it seems so stupid. It was like $700, which is not a lot of money. For 16 weeks? No, that's really no, good. No, yeah. but at that time, for somebody who just graduated their master's, has so much debt, doesn't have a job, and to take a filmmaking class, like it felt like a lot of money towards yeah. something that is not related to me, right? And he was so nice. He let me do like a payment plan and whatever, whatever. And then I did this 16-week program, and I was like, oh my God, I love this, right? And things just popped off so quick. That was yeah. just like three, uh, four years ago. Yeah. Things just popped off so quick that like, uh, like I got a $15,000 grant from the Ontario Arts Council within a year. I And he was my mentor for it. I released that podcast that at that time, that was one of the only ones that came out of Toronto. We have over yeah. 15,000 downloads. And I I often tell young people this, that I'm just like, you think you have your life figured out, but the more you try to, like, control it, like, we have no idea what's happening in 10 years, Mm -hmm. right? Like, I didn't think when I met you guys almost 10 years ago, can you believe that? (laughs) That's wild. We're still looking great. (laughs) uh, That I think 10 years ago, like, Gug and I was just telling you, like, eight years ago, we were in this basement, and, like, I never thought eight years later we'll still be friends. Not that I didn't think we wouldn't. But, like, you don't think about these things. You have no idea. Yeah, we have no control of what the fuck's going to happen. You have no idea, like, what's going to happen. And so I just, like, followed it. And now I can look back and be like, holy crap, that went fast. Like, in three years, I moved quick. Mm -hmm. And before that, I always felt, like, aimless and, like, listless. I just kept jumping. And now I can feel grounded and be like, I'm an artist. Um, So So that podcast. Yeah. Sorry sorry not to cut you off, but it was like your mind was already operating in such a way like you're working with your uh, teacher and he's like yeah you already have the vision yeah. and the thought process of a filmmaker but you didn't necessarily have the outlet or the channel in order to express some of yeah. those thoughts I think the biggest thing too was like um and in our communities like because of immigration because of trauma we lost the arts in that process yeah. like I know in Punjab like if you ask, like, people were photographers. People did Gidda. People did Bodhliyan. People did, like, all, like, they did all those, like, Fulgati drawings. Yeah. Even the embroidery. Like, yeah. all of that is beautiful art. And we, like, lost that in immigration, right? And trauma and, like, violence. And so, like, we were literally, like, I remember feeling like my community doesn't have any art. When it's, like, that's, like... Lahore was the art center of all of India for like over a hundred years, you know? And so I think it's also the fact that I didn't believe we're allowed to be artists, you know? And I didn't even know that documentary filmmaking was something I had access to. 
Um, and also, like, it was so heavily and still is male-dominated. And for me, in terms of creating, only now I can say, hey, I worked on your guys' music videos. Yeah. Like, I was literally an assistant director, but <laughs> the dudes sometimes that we were around never would give me credit for things. Yeah, well, shout like, them out or name them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nah, nah, nah. I ain't petty like that. You know what I mean? It's okay. They, they talk all Put them on blast. <laughs> no, no. But now they go up to people to be like, yo, where's Lavelina at these days? I'm like, yeah, you and my dust, bro. <laughs> <laughs> air horn. We need an air horn. Bars. track coming soon. <laughs> Nubby's laughing there because she knows exactly who I'm talking about. Um, anyways, so, but like, I worked on your guys' music videos. I would work on like, you know, people who are big time YouTube stars. I would help them with their ideas mm -hmm. and like bounce things off people. Sick Actors Network, like our events, like that, like these are the things, not, I'm not the only person, but I was like, what if we do this? What if we do that? What if we bring these, like, I know sometimes I would coach you on your performances. So yeah. I was like always thinking about these things. I was always involved in videos. I just never held the camera. You yeah. know what I mean? And I was around so many dudes that like literally people just wouldn't give me the credit for doing something that I was actually just doing. So my self-confidence around access to arts wasn't actually that high, right? Because I'm like, I'm not a rapper. I'm not a poet. I'm not a singer. Um, so, and I'm not a camera person, so what does that mean? Um, so I actually needed somebody to say, documentary filmmaking is something that you can do, but I needed a mentor, mm -hmm. you know? I needed, some, and I feel like I was a mentor for so many in like young women or people to be like, be an activist or be an organizer or be an artist. Like I would mentor people to be artists, yeah. but like I didn't have anybody to like tell me that and support me and like believe in me. And so he was the first person to be like, what are you talking about? Like you, you, you're putting threads together in ways that are perfect for documentary. So he kind of gave you that validation you needed. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. That's kind of dope too, because like a lot of people like as artists, especially we like to think that we fucking know everything and yeah. we're the greatest. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. But the thing is a mentor is huge. Right, because obviously the longer you do anything, you realize, okay, I How got burned here, know? I got fucking this, that, and like you literally don't know shit, and we still don't know shit, right? It's a forever growing totally. process, right? And that's the thing, the earlier you can get a mentor in your life, you can already get these type of lessons that, yeah, you're gradually going to figure out, but yeah. you know, it saves you from a couple extra scars that you didn't need well, right the thing is, I thought that's a perfect way to put it because like you guys are trailblazers right yeah. like you're trailblazers in this Punjabi hip-hop thing I'm sure there's times that you're like these kids don't know what it was <laughs> like because I do that and I'm not even on stage you that's, know what I mean I'm like that's every other Tuesday for us <laughs> yeah, it's like my boys I'm right they've been through the shits man um but like this is also how racism plays out, right? Because racism plays out is that white people have these people that you can always find somebody to mentor you. Mm -hmm. And and by trailblazers, it's not even like, oh, it's a metaphor. No, like you literally had to create, fucking cut the weeds and create the trail. And like, I remember it didn't really hit me until like even Rupi God, who's now like, she's her own trailblazer. Shout but out. she came to Selena one time and I, Selena Dillon, who's also a trailblazer. Shout so out, I feel out. so blessed to be around all these amazing people. And, and that's like a another segue is like community is so important because who you're around, you come up together. And only now I can look around and be like, hell yeah, I picked the right group of people. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? And I didn't pick it, man. That's just, like that's good that's not on me right <laughs> but like Rupi God years ago came up to Selena and was like Selena I used to listen to you when I was in high school I was like in high school 
Like we were all in our 20s when that happened. I was yeah. like, people were listening to you guys in high school? Like there's literally kids. Yo, that's the biggest trip. Like when we first wow. met our homie Salvin and Wise, Wise. in California. Yeah. They're like, yeah, we grew up listening yeah, to yeah, you like guys. You I'm yeah. like, grew what up the listening fuck? To, like, people are like, yo, I grew up. Like yeah. I was a kid. Like now the youngins are like, like they're like, yo, I listen to noise like an eight-year-old. And so you're literally like the and like the zoo babies like yeah. you guys were a super group there for a hot minute right and like for us we're like whatever it's you guys fucking around in your basement yeah. like making music videos and stuff not to say it wasn't great but yeah. you didn't see it like that and then you can look back and how quickly that legacy is being built because we literally had nobody in front of us doing it so it's not even about mentors in that way it's like Yo, sometimes those weeds hurt, man. Mm. Like, you could only, like, you need somebody else to help you along the way. Yeah. Um, okay, so you talked a little bit about becoming an artist and really just kind of embracing that title. Oh, as I'm a, only doing it now. Yeah, you're only getting you, into You're it making now. me do it. Nervous, <laughs> nerve wracking. Yeah, but you've also taken the onus to, to pay it back. Mm. So, one thing that you've, you've started to do with, uh, around documentary filmmaking and around filmmaking in general is to lead workshops for youth. So you mm. mentioned going into the schools. Which was a total fluke, by Yeah, the way. so how, how did you get into that? How did <laughs> that first come fluke. about? Um, it's so interesting that today our conversation is like centered so much around community because actually it was Amneet, who we all know. Shout out Amneet. Shout out yes, Amneet. Sir. And um, he was talking to a Punjabi teacher from Morningside, right? It was Morningside? Morning Star. Morning Star. Sorry. Shout out Morning Star. Morning Star yeah, Public yeah. School, Malton. And she was talking to Amneet about like wanting to be around other like-minded people, wanting to talk to artists and whatever. And she came up and met with me in Toronto one time. And she was hella cool. And like again, speaking about community, how important it is and how, representat how important representation is. Because she literally was like, this was literally maybe... Uh, six months maybe a year after I had done my first film so I was still like a year and a half into like this filmmaking thing like figuring it out and she was like Laveline like what if we get you a grant to teach a class and I was like oh I don't know about that but me I'm very overconfident you know like <laughs> I, I call that the Punjabi overconfidence yeah, I, yeah, I could it. totally yeah. teach a class I, yeah. yeah yeah so I was like you know what though yeah let's figure it out we'll make it happen <laughs> Never had I like taught youth or whatever. Yeah. And then I was like, for sure. And so, but then she got the grant the next year, like got a grant. And I was like, hey, what if we, and like, again, like these nodes of community and like representation. And I was like, what if we do a thing about like a hip hop part? Cause and actually for me, I was like, Umrit runs these programs. So I'd rather just do it with him. So if I fuck up, he can catch, <laughs> catch me. You know what I mean? And so like, I was like, what if we do a hip hop component? Because my friend Amrit, he's really good at this. And she's like, yeah, that's amazing because pr probably some of these kids know him, which they did. Yeah. Again, wow, right? Like, how <laughs> wild is that? They're like 12 year olds. They were starstruck by him. <laughs> and like, um, so she did it. And we ran a day long workshop. That was my first one that I ran. And oh, was, that was your, I didn't know that was your first that one. That was my first, Amrit. Wow. And so um, we ran a day long workshop with about 20. 25 30 youth like we split them in half so Amrit yeah. took the hip-hop the kids who want to write and I took the kids who wanted to make film and it was like really beautiful to come back into a school system that like is notoriously racist yeah. <laughs> right yeah and especially at Malton like 
for Morningstar Public School, which is like 99% kids of color, majority Punjabi, majority still working class. Because Malton is like still... Malton's still very working class. Yeah, it's yeah. the place that people are still like, they'll move out of. Yeah. Right? Yeah. They don't move there to like settle. They move there to move out of It's there. a stepping stone. Exactly, right? So you're seeing these kids and I still remember there was that kid that was like, my name is like... Gurnur, whatever. I was like, Gurnur, your name's Gurnur. He's like, and every laughed. I was like, no, we ain't laughing here. I was like, mm. that's his name. His name, his name means he's the light of God. I was like, you want to, you want to, you want to just like, you want to make, you want to butcher that? <laughs> I was like, your name means you're the light of God and you want to butcher that? Yeah. And then after I actually noticed that he was saying my name's Gurnur, right? Uh. But it was so beautiful to go back. Like, I've always wanted to be a teacher, but I was like, I cannot be the one that has to like, sit in a class with 30 students and not give them the attention that they deserve yeah. like be perpetuate and like all shout outs to all the teachers doing the good work but it was so beautiful for me to help them to and then me and Amrit did this thing to be like tell us what's going on in your lives and for the first time it really felt like they were heard yeah and like they were like yo like this I get bullied for being like I'm a new immigrant and like the other people didn't know that and the kids are like yo at the picnic bench in the park I'm trying to, people are trying to force me to um, be in a gang. And me and Amrit, like, in the break, we're like, what the fuck? <laughs> 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 like, me and Amrit, he's like, he's like, yo, I grew up here. I was like, what the fuck is going on with I was like, this is Malton, man. Like, and then we're like, yeah, 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 totally. Like, we had to, like, take our sidebars. Shit got real. Yeah, yeah. And then he's like, yo, they're trying to get us to do drugs. Me and Amrit, they're like, yo, man. Let's, like, we were having a moment. We were yeah. like, these kids, we want to steal them with us. Like, you know? No, the, the cool thing was though is that we kind of we got a chance to take over the classroom yeah and the teacher wasn't in there yeah. so for these kids they had an opportunity probably for the first time to be real since being in school to really talk about what they're going through and yeah. they were so talented yeah, like blew me so away. talented and for me it's so important to like let them be seen because i needed to be seen and like and like let them be seen by people who look like them and for me as a woman to be like yo, you can do whatever the fuck you want out here because you're still figuring it out just like we are. And like the kids who's wearing the freshest J's, I'm like, I know you're trying hard and you're trying to be cool, but like, like it's okay. You know yeah. what I mean? But it's also sad to be like, you're 12 years old and you're talking about bullying and sex and drugs and gangs mm -hmm. and like shit like that. And I'm like, man, like, and the parents don't know how to support this at all. Like, our parents yeah. have no concept. And the teachers and the principal, I remember, uh, oh, man, putting people on blast right now. No, no, we won't mention the principal's <laughs> name. No, no, I was like, I don't know her name. But I remember hearing stories that, like, this principal was giving a real hard time. Even it was hard for us to get paid. Yeah. Like, the principal gave a hard time to the kids to the point that when we went back to the assembly of the finished products, projects, they butchered every single person of color's name, whether it was like Jamal. I don't know how you screw that up, but they're like <laughs> Jamal. I was like, oh, God, to like good nude. I was like, no wonder these kids are going to develop this like internalized like, uh. self-hatred. Right. And it's disgusting to me that in a in a school that's 99 percent people of color, that the teachers don't represent that. The the education that they're receiving don't rep doesn't represent that. And like it just like. So I feel like we did a little intervention, whatever that means. And for me, I really discovered my love of like 
I don't even make that many films anymore. But to me, it's almost more valuable to put this amazing tool, now that everybody has a phone, if you have an iPhone, you have iMovie on it, you can edit and shoot everything. So I'm like, for me to see the power of them telling their own stories, for them to be the leaders, to be a director is just to be a leader. Mm -hmm. So you can sit on your computer. No teacher can tell you how to cut your film. That's your story, yeah. right? So for me, I found it so powerful to um, give them the tools to, for the first time, tell their own story in their own way. Like, yeah, the media maybe doesn't represent you, but you can represent you however you want, which I feel like with you folks, like you guys started making music videos to represent your stories and how powerful it was. Like I said, those kids knew noise. There's The guy with the freshest J's were like, Yo, I listen to you. <laughs> like, I was like, bro, you're 12. <laughs> He's like, yo, yo, my brother listens to you. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? But, um, and then the next year, I like, and this is exactly it, like, community representation is so important because of that one little thing I was able to apply for artist in residency. And, I, you know, I boosted that. I was like, yeah, whatever. I, like, taught this great program for, like, whatever. <laughs> I had no experience. And then I go into teaching a 16 week program at Regent Park. And these. Sick. These five youth, 12-year-olds, again, just blew my mind with these beautiful documentaries that talked about gentrification, gun violence, like, um, bullying, like, these kind, and they all just, like, took it and ran with it. I didn't even know until I saw the final, like, near the rough cut, and I was like, this is what you guys were talking about? You guys can't even listen to me for five minutes, and then you go <laughs> to your interviews, and these are the things you're asking them? But it, I saw, like, I did, like, a little post-evaluation with them, and I asked them, like, what was your, you know, m most proud moment? And they're just like, when I finished my edit, when I, like, uh, looking at my film for the first time, I and I saw the stories that we would come in with. I would hear the stories they would come to me with after school to be like, yo, today I got suspended because I told the teacher that she was being racist, you know? And I'm like... This is bullshit. So mm -hmm. at least somewhere, and like every day, there was one kid I remember. Every day he was told that he couldn't pay attention, that he had ADD, or and I'm I mean, he he said he didn't, but like that's what everybody said to him. But when I saw him in the edit, that kid, you couldn't even get him off the computer for break time, right? Yeah, and they just never gave him a way to really focus. express his intelligence. Exactly, and so I'm just like, at least there's a way that you're getting access to tools. And the thing with cameras and, and computers and things like that, it's just they're so easily read, easily available now that I just hope that outside of like the formal education system, they can build other careers or arts for themselves mm -hmm. and feel a sense of self-esteem and confidence that can at least buffer a little bit from what they feel and experience every day. Yeah. We always kind of have that conversation here too, is like imagine if the education system was built to actually set you on a path that you could be yeah, yeah. exactly right rather than fucking doing the cookie cutter bullshit that they do and throw us all in the same pile and just like figure it the fuck out on yourself totally. it's kind of bullshit because it's like all this creativity probably came into my life after like 16 same, same. right yeah. so it's like we figured it out right that's kind of why we wanted to do this podcast as well is like yo showing kids None of us had a fucking formula, no. but it was something that was intriguing about these fields to us. And then we're like, fuck it. We got to figure it out. And also, like, everybody can be an artist. That's why I like teaching film, because I'm like, at least by the time film comes around, like, as a 
teen or whatever, nobody's destroyed your love of it. Yet. Yeah. Painters, writers, like poets, like as a kid, you might have written that one little assignment or you might have mm. done that one painting and the teacher was probably like, what is that? And you never touch it again. Or an adult, right? I'm like, at least with filmmaking, you, you're not six years old trying to make a yeah. film. So I was like, at least I can say you still are an artist. You have access to this art. And if I can catch them before, like, somebody tells them that they're not allowed to do it, you know? And I think, like, one of the best moments I've had with some of the workshops that I run myself. Um, so I've, similar to the experience you had at Regent Park, um, so I taught a work, hip-hop and mental health workshop at George Hall. Mm. So I don't know if you're familiar with George Hall, but mm -mm. it's a school in Toronto for children with mental health issues. Um, so we had some kids that were joined the workshop, but they were selective mutes. Some of them had depression. Some mm. of them had bipolar. So a lot of different, um, a lot of different concerns for yeah. the kids that were present. And there was one kid that was there. And so during the workshops, we always have this point where people can share what they've written. And he went up and he had so many rhymes written by the end of this workshop. Oh and he God. was rhyming for five, ten minutes. <laughs> but when he left... You're like, yo, I'm hiring you as a ghostwriter. <laughs> <laughs> the thing, though, when he left, all the teachers were coming up to me. They're like, yo, he hasn't said a word in class all year. Yeah. And this was the first time we've actually heard him speak. Totally. And so just this kind of goes to the point you were saying. When you give them a way to express themselves that the school board doesn't allow for, mm -hmm. you put them in a position to succeed and flourish. Yeah. And, and like build confidence. I remember there was this one kid in my class. I don't, and that I like, I remember his face so vividly. I don't remember his name. He was so naturally gifted. It was unbelievable. And I would literally go up to him and be like, have you touched a camera before? He's like, no. And like the way he'd frame the shots, he would be like, yo, just walk walk and I'm like oh my god like you're thinking about all these things about how to put together a scene how to do all these things but as I was walking with him the gym teacher comes out and starts yelling at him and oh, I, I remember like, that yeah right I told yeah, you yeah. about it and I, I remember and the gym teacher totally ignores me and again this is a thing about sexism like he literally I'm like I'm the teacher he's with me you can't talk to him right now like we're busy we're doing an, I'm like we're doing an assignment like yeah. he's like no nah, I gotta talk to him he's like yo why aren't you in math class today and I was like, he's with me. He signed out to do this art program with me today. He's like, nah, I don't, why weren't you in math class? You're going to fail this program. Why are you messing around with these cameras today? Because he was holding a camera. Mm -hmm. Immediately, I saw this kid's face just like drop. He's like, I don't know. I don't know. Da, 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 da. And I like came to him. I was like, listen, you better keep playing with these goddamn cameras. I was like, you are so talented. I was like, and that made me so sad that like this privileging of certain subjects and like maybe he's not doing so well at math but like if he could do well in something like this mm -hmm. and these days i know what the job market's like technical skills are very important yeah. editing writing like photo film social media all of that is in the arts whether like you get paid for it in one specific way like the school system is archaic it doesn't teach people what they need to know like mm -hmm. i've done seven years of university i've mentored so many people like all of these systems are not meant for us to flourish. And for us, from communities of working class immigrants of color, we're just trying to do the best we can. Our parents don't know this. Our parents don't know how to get us into the best schools and get us the best tutors and stuff like that. But the parents who know, like the high schools in Toronto, the art schools, they have full Mac labs. 
right? And they they don't even care about calculus. They have a Premiere classes, Adobe mm. Premiere. They have recording booths. They have artists that come in and do collages. There's a whole high school that you don't even get grades. You have to build a portfolio to get into university. Those are the skills we need. Yeah. But our parents don't know that that's what the economy is shifting to because we don't live in those worlds, you know? Like, I ain't never used calculus ever again. Why did I fail it and take it again? Like, why did I do that? What a why, waste of my life. Why did we life. need it? Like, yeah. who needs calculus? I don't know. Why do I remember A squared plus B squared equals C squared? It only helps me to cross the soccer field faster and go in a triangle. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> you know? That's funny. <laughs> and I'm like, soccer reference. Do you yeah, I like it. I like how you tied me in there. <laughs> Although you probably never run a no, line no. across the field. Never <laughs> happens. <laughs> we have a little segment that we like to end off with. Noise, you want to explain it? Oh, yeah, God. so we like to end the show going around everybody that's on the show just to, to share one thing that they're grateful for or one person that they're grateful for. Um, just could have been anybody or anything mm. that came to your life. Mm. You might have it now or it might have came to you in the past. Just something that was instrumental in your life and you just want to... Shout it out and put it out in the world that that's what you're grateful for. Mm. Do we all do it? Or just yeah, everybody, yeah, no, everybody does it. Does oh, okay. it. It's like, oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh -huh. So do I start? Uh, I can start. <laughs> give me some time to think. Because um, you mentioned, you mentioned um, like how it's important to have mentors. Yeah. And another st one, one name that kept kind of popping up into my head for a lot of different points that you made was uh, the homie Sig Knowledge. Mm -hmm. so shout out. Shout yeah. out to the OG Trailblazer. Yeah. So, he DJs my birthday party. He's my friend, guys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. So when I was started making beats, this was like 2008, and I had just kind of, he was still living in Montreal at the time, yeah, and I, I had just kind of been like e-introduced to him. So I was sending him beats, and he was like, I like, admired him so much like his music is still amazing but back then i was just like wow this guy's got like albums out like if i could send him my beats and he actually likes them Yo, like, he was the one that were like we were listening to you I know, <laughs> yeah, straight yeah. Up. he's like like god level beat maker he still is he still is Nasty. i'm not yo he's like he's that dude still so i sent him i was sending him beats and i'm just like i'm just like stupid kid who doesn't know what he's doing doesn't know how to make beats i've made like maybe 10 beats in my life but i'm gonna send it to him just to see what he thinks and he would actually take the time to listen to it and be like all right wow. this is cool wow. or you should try doing this maybe you know yeah. do this with your drums do this with the baseline do this with the sample and now you can know that that's yeah. like people don't do that people, people don't, don't do that that do takes that. a lot of time to like especially with i assume with beat making which is so technical to like mm -hmm. give people advice yeah and he would just be like he would give me ideas for like how to flow on the beats. Like he was, he approached it as like I was his peer. Wow. So even though I looked up to him as a mentor, he didn't look at me as a student. He kind of looked at me like, yo, you're making beats. I'm making beats. So that puts us on the equal plane. You know what I mean? And I needed that validation early on because without that, like you were saying, if you have one person just kind of shit on you and say, no, nah, this is whack, don't do that. Oh, my God. At that age, you're not going to do it anymore, right? Oh, my God. If he shit on you in that moment, yeah. we would not, we would <laughs> no. not be here today. We wouldn't be here right now. Wow. Are you ready or should yeah, I go? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll go next. I think I like this idea of the mentors. And as soon as you asked this question, I thought about right away the first person that came to mind was my high school drama teacher, uh, Mr. Stern. And uh, he 
didn't know what was going on in my life, but like he knew that it was like rough for me at home and that my parents were strict and that I wasn't allowed. But like he would always, he would like literally drop me home after rehearsals and he would put me in all the plays and he would give me stage manager duty and assistant director duty and like made me a main cast member, even though I wouldn't show up to the the like audition prepared even though I wouldn't have my scripts ready or even though I wouldn't have anything ready and like he could just see it in my body that like things were hard like I wasn't like these and everybody's white you know like in the in the drama and I wasn't like in the plays and whatever and I wasn't getting along with anybody there because I was just like this little brown kid that like just wanted to do theater and so it was so important that he just created this like compassionate space for me as a teacher where he believed in me and create I needed another adult figure like another parental figure that was just like you're great like you're brilliant you're doing amazing and he didn't even have to even say those things but he really just like held me in times in high school high school's hard right Mm -hmm. in a time when I really needed and years later when I was organizing large concerts as part of my job I couldn't figure out why I had these skills right? Because university doesn't teach you shit, right? Like, <laughs> and I was like, oh my God, it's because literally I was a stage manager and assistant, even Sick Activist Network. How did I know how to stage manage our first one lion's roar was because he trained me and, and believed in me and gave me the confidence to be that little kid with glasses and this long ass gut wearing sweats <laughs> and like not look braces. And I was the boss, you know what I mean? So those years were so formative to building this confidence and building this voice because he gave me a clipboard and was like, you're going to be my stage manager. I was mm-hmm. such a like quiet, reserved uh, person because trauma had like made silence this voice of mine, you know? And he like allowed me to come out of that into, into something. And I remember like being the main cast member of like this seven-person play. And it was just like, it was such an honor. And so coming back to like it's so sad but almost so amazing how beautiful and resilient humanity is that like literally just takes one person straight up just to like just stoke the fire just hold the fire with you just a little bit for a little bit of time so i'm definitely grateful for that little bit of an intervention not even little it was all my entire high school years like he was there all the time you know that's amazing that's when I want to shout out Mr. Shine. I guess I got to be, you know, I got to talk about a mentor too then because it <laughs> seems like uh, what we're doing here. But um, I've actually had a few mentors. Obviously, musically, I've been very uh, outspoken about how humble was that guy for yeah, me. Yeah, yeah. Likewise, as uh, Noise talked about, I literally just messaged him. I was making music and it was that same thing. I was like, is this guy even going to respond to me and stuff like that? But... He did, and he took the time out of his life at that point. Because, like, at that point, we looked at humble, the humbles, the, the yeah, yeah, seek knowledge is like yeah. they were aliens or something. And then you right? guys performed on the same stages. Exactly, though. right? Yeah. And that happened very quickly, right? But it was like that alone, like all these stories we're sharing right now, the, these little things mean so much to a young, impressionable mind. Mm-hmm. And it does shape the person you become Mm -hmm. so definitely musically it was always humble for me when it came to sports it was always my brothers Mm -hmm. my my eldest brother is handicapped so he could never play sports but he loved uh soccer so much that he literally drove me to all my practices ever since five years old 
pretty much did all the father figure roles that my pops couldn't do because he was always working. Yeah. So a mix of both my brothers, my, my middle brother did really well in, uh, in playing uh, like a high level of soccer growing up. So mm -hmm. I kind of just followed in his footsteps. Then on top of that, like my father kind of, he showed me what it's like to be a man. And no matter what, you have to fucking take care of your family. Mm -hmm. Like there's stories of him literally making it overseas and then paying for his his yeah. wedding, his uh, my my tata's weddings, smuggling my tata into Germany and started his whole life yeah. off. Yeah. You know, all this. So he kind of showed me that, yo, even if you ain't got shit, you got to do what it takes to take care of family, right? Straight On up. top of that, um, I have a mother who is one of the strongest individuals ever. So I always had like a lot of strong females in my life. And I feel like that's very important as well, right? It, it shaped me to who I am. So shout out to all the mentors, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, this has been a really good podcast. I want to I wanna thank you for coming and making time to chill with my, the homies. My pleasure. We've had many conversations in Brampton basements like this, so yes. why not put it on a recording, right? Totally. That's exactly what I said to Amrit. I was like, what are we going to talk about? He's like, all these things. I was like, oh, you mean all the things we always talk about? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now we just got it. It's documented. It's in the history books. Yeah. And hopefully people that listen to it are able to, to gain something out of it. Totally. And maybe connect with your experience to some degree and know that they'll come out all right. And you know what's so cool is like, the cool thing about being trailblazers is our groups are so small. Like, I think it's so amazing that we're still here, like, together doing these things. And a part of what inspires me is, like, I can look at you guys and be like, yo, these guys are hustling every day. And they keep moving it further and further and creating their own path. So, like, let me figure this out, too. <laughs> so, you guys inspire, inspire me. So, I'm grateful for you, two for always, like, sticking to your hustle and finding ways that it makes sense for you and like it's so beautiful to like witness your light and witness your journey however it's taken shape and so beautiful and inspiring to see little kids growing up listening to your music so i want to shout you guys out <laughs> for like doing what you do because you're literally your existence your presence is literally creating a space for hundreds of thousands of little kids and that's not even a that's not even an exaggeration of a number. Like those are your like YouTube views, you know, like and your Instagram and podcasts and all that. Like th these are big things you guys are doing and you act humble, but it's real. You guys are the realists. Well, we appreciate the kind yeah. words. We're just going to go back and forth. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just do this for another hour. <laughs> no, but like, honestly, we're not blowing smoke up your ass. We literally are very proud of you and the person that you are. You're an ama amazing individual Thank who you. hasn't changed from that stage director at, at Lewin's <laughs> Lions Roar when you used to yell at all of us. But um, no, man. How did put up with you? <laughs> <laughs> you know, we, were, uh, we didn't know what the fuck we were doing, so we needed somebody <laughs> like you, right? No, but uh, we're really excited to see what the fuck you got going on, uh, in, on in the future. And these doors are always open to Cumble Studios. I'm sure we'll have you back here talking shit about some other things. So um, this has been a pleasure. With that being said, this is the Immigrant Hustle Podcast. Okay.